0: Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by the New Jersey Education Association, NJ Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan, Holy Name, This Place is Different, New Jersey Sharing Network, Prudential Financial, PSEG Foundation, The Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, Wells Fargo, and by NJM Insurance Group, serving New Jersey's drivers, homeowners, and business owners for more than 100 years. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association and by New Jersey Monthly, the magazine of the Garden State, available at newsstands.
1: Hi, everyone. Steve Adubato. Um, Every year, we bring together excellent educators, educators who are making a difference every day, um, excellence in education. Here are those educators Ariel Babcock is a social studies and media teacher, Hudson County Teacher of the Year. Congratulations, Ariel. Thank you. Your colleague, uh, Ian Evans, seventh grade literacy teacher, and the Somerset Teacher of the Year. Congratulations, Ian. Thank you so much. And finally, Martha Hickson, high school librarian in the 2022 National Coalition Against Censorship Outstanding Librarian. Congratulations, Martha. Martha, you act like you didn't know that.
2: No,
3: I knew it. I knew it. I just haven't heard it in a while.
1: (laughs) It sounds pretty good. Thank you all for joining us, uh, talking about excellence in education. Ariel, let me ask you this define what excellence in teaching and education looks like in 2023?
4: i That's a great question. 2023 is really important because excellence in teaching really involves getting to know your students and the world that they're growing up in today. We're preparing students not for jobs and careers in a world that you grew up in or even I grew up in. We're preparing our students to grow up in tomorrow's future. Um, So it's important that we teach the students about relevant skills that they're going to be using today and in the future.
1: Along those lines, Ian, let me ask you this. And Martha, you've faced a whole range of uh, you and your colleagues, uh, librarians in schools, incredible challenges, the book banning efforts on the part of some censorship for others. We'll get to that in a moment. But Ian, from your perspective, promoting social justice and equity What does it really mean to you, and how does it play itself out in your teaching? So what I'm
5: thinking about when I'm thinking about social justice and equity is, you know, as a literacy teacher, and and librarians can speak to this too, just like who students see as being readers and writers, right? So like the idea of representation matters. The idea that, you know, I need books by Black authors about Black topics. I need books by LGBTQ authors about LGBTQ topics. And, um, both that i need to be able to show my students those stories so that they can see themselves represented in the literary world but also so that i can say like look these are the luminaries these are the leaders who we should all be learning from right like so it's not just for my lgbtq students who can benefit from reading lgbtq stories it's about you know how can how can cis students how can how can um heterosexual students understand, like, the complexities of, of sexuality and gender and, and race and everything that exists within our society so that they can better, you know, understand their peers, so that they can better understand themselves, mm-hmm. and um, so that they can see that these are topics worth talking about and that need to be talked about.
1: So, Martha, in listening to your colleague and listening to Ian, here's the question that, that that obviously cries out to be asked. Ian's talking about getting access to literature that matters and let's call some of that very relevant but controversial in the eyes of some. So some people say, you know what? I don't want you teaching that. I don't want you involved in critical race theory. I don't want you in promoting or putting out there, forget about promoting, exposing students to sex education related material regarding the LGBTQ plus community. Get that book out of there. Get that literature out of there. You say what to that, Martha?
3: Well, I say uh, as a librarian, uh, a library is a center for voluntary inquiry. Uh, That means the users of a library get to choose what they want to read. And as Ian was saying, he was sort of singing from the librarian's hymnal, uh, a librarian seeks to build a diverse collection that represents their community. So I can understand if an individual reader or even the parent of an individual reader doesn't want to read a particular book and that's their prerogative they don't have to read it and if a parent doesn't want their child to read a particular book they can have a conversation with the librarian and we can actually use our library uh, technology to make a note in the student's record to say that the parent requests the student not read this book
1: what if it's in the curriculum i'm sorry for interrupting what if it's in the curriculum and the teacher is saying this is a required reading for this course and the parent's like hey wait a minute no, 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 no. I don't want, opt-out means what in real life? Not in theory, in real life. What does it mean? In real life, I see it every year. I, I, this is my
3: 18th year um, in my high school as a librarian. Thank
1: you. Thank you for your service. <laughs>
3: Thanks. Uh, and every year when, say, Catcher in the Rye comes up, um, there there are generally, um, you know, a handful, maybe one or two in a, a cohort of uh, students where the parents prefer that their student not read that book. And in that case, they don't read that book. They are given an alternate assignment um, that they can read another novel alongside uh, their class. So it's all about communication uh, from the parent's point of view, rather than marching into a board meeting with a posse to string up uh, a teacher or librarian, have a conversation and we can probably reach a compromise that achieves both our
1: goals. Before I go back to Ariel, Martha, help us on this. You have been called by some, or pornographer, a pedophile. You've had threatening letters, emails. Okay. Usually people hide behind things. So I'm not sure if they identify themselves. And you are worried on some level about personal safety. Is that fair? That's fair. Ariel, is that what educators and librarians signed up for?
4: Oh, it's definitely not. What we signed up for was helping kids learn the skills to think and come up with their own thoughts. I think there's a big misconception that teachers and librarians are teaching our young people what to think, when really is the goal is we're helping them learn how to think, how to come up with their own opinions. And that's why it's so important to expose them to texts at of of different topics, of different themes, because that's how you develop your own opinions. That's why you're not parroting what adults are saying. You're coming up with your own thoughts and your own beliefs.
1: Part of what we do in, in our broadcast, tied to our colleagues in public broadcasting, is to try to get through the clutter, the noise, the disinformation, and have a real conversation about facts. How dare we? So that being said, for those who argue, hold on. Uh, Mr. Evans, you are uh, promoting an LGBTQ agenda. Further, we are asking five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, are you a boy or a girl? You don't have to identify either way. You could pick what you want um, and say you're neither, non-binary, whatever. And that some will argue, please respond to this, Ann that it's premature in many cases, inappropriate in others, because it's not the role of the schools, and Governor Ron DeSantis is one of the most outspoken on this. That's not your place. Obviously, I'm not saying that. The argument is, it's not your place, Mr. Evans. It is mine as a parent. You say what?
5: So when I'm thinking about that argument, right, one of the things that I think about is how, you know, we're talking about the facts. So what the facts kind of show, is that you know already as young as three, kids start understanding things about themselves, about their sexuality, about their about their gender identity, about who they are. Three are people, yeah, three. Um, so when I'm thinking about you know, it, there's this misconception that like we're exposing them to something, and like so they might not, not have the language or words to define it, but like that idea of like. Oh, I'm different. Right. And, and that I don't quite know how I'm different, but like the part of living and part of figuring out who you are is figuring out like how that is and how you want to, how would you like other people to refer to you? How would you, how, how can other people kind of honor you in this world? Right. And so when I think about like, particularly in the literacy perspective, when we're talking about things like the access of books, right. Um, You know, When people can see that there are NB authors, non-binary authors that exist or trans authors that exist and who are writing stories for young people, right? The idea is that, like, wow, like there's someone like me who's doing this. Right. Like, that's the beauty of representation, right? It's the idea, it's not so it's the idea of like, I'm not alone. Like, there's other people like me who are doing this thing. And so, like, I think that sometimes the misconception is like that concept that there is some sort of agenda, um, like some sort of ulterior motive or some sort of like exposure thing, that like this wouldn't be happening if it weren't the case. But the truth of the matter is, is that um, you know, trans people, non-binary people have existed for decades, for centuries, right? Um, okay. And you know, if we're thinking about two-spirit folks or if we're thinking about you know, other communities that have broader understandings of gender and gender identity,
1: um, Ian, I'm going to cut you off because uh, one of the things I don't have the luxury of is more time, so I'm going to get back to... I'm going to I promise I'll come back to you. So, so Martha, help us understand something in light of what Ian's saying. Disinformation, misinformation, confusion, and also the role of the media in all this. Where is the place for the school librarian in helping young students gain the critical thinking skills to be able to figure out, hey, wait a minute, Uh, January 6th, a demonstration and a protest peaceful? I heard that somewhere. But I'm looking at something that doesn't comport with that, point being, how the heck do we teach younger people through our schools, through librarian community, books, et cetera, and our curriculum teachers?
3: Well, Steve, people are going to think that I paid you to ask that question because it's the perfect question for a librarian. Well, I don't know um, the answer. I don't know how you break through it. Well, I am proud to say that New Jersey just became the first state in the union to require K-12 information literacy instruction. Uh, so starting with kindergarten, going all the way through graduation, that will be part of the curriculum. And librarians are at the heart of it. I'll tell you what I do. Uh, In fact, I commented to your producer that I've been teaching all day. I was working
1: with sophomores. You've been talking to Georgette, which is why I've got such a great information. What (laughs) did you tell her? So please share that with us. Sure. I was telling her I was teaching all day, working with
3: sophomores uh, on their research projects. And one of the things that I teach students is a very simple strategy. Anybody can use it. It's called SIFT, S-I-F-T. S-I-F-T. Go ahead. It stands for when you encounter new information, stop. Don't engage with the information until you, I, investigate the source. Is it a source you know and trust? If not, F, find better coverage. And always T, trace the claims back to the original context because context matters. It's that kind of thing, those simple strategies that we can give kids to go out into the world and be more intelligent consumers of information.
1: So I'm thinking about this, Arielle, as a a teacher of social studies and media. When you're listening to your colleague, when you listen to Martha around this issue, you think what?
4: I am doing very similar things in both my social studies and my media literacy classes. So I teach social studies classes to high school students and media literacy to seventh and eighth grade. And one of the core skills that I want my students to take away is always, always, always check your source. Never take something at face value. Look to see whether it's a primary source text in my social studies classes or a current events article in my media literacy classes. Where-
1: I'm out. I need to do this. Someone says I read it online. Where'd you read it? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat. What, do you, what was it? Who was this? I don't know. I read it. It's the media, the media, the news. What do you say to that?
4: So the media and the news isn't always factually correct. Um, Fake news and misinformation is unfortunately not a new thing, but it's never been so prevalent in the world as it is now. And it's never been so hard to spot as it is now. Um, So it's important that from a young age, we're helping these kids learn how to check these sources and verify what they're reading because just because it was posted by CNN, Fox News, you know, no matter who- You don't mean public
1: broadcast. Hold on one second. (laughs) You are, because there are some, stay on this, area. there are some who, when we put something out there, and we are not PBS, we are on public broadcasting, and whether it's public broadcasting or another credible media organization, there are those who don't like that information who will call that fake news, and that will tell folks who they believe are their constituents, if you will, stakeholders, don't believe them. The media is the enemy. So now you're calling something fake news. Others call something else fake news because they don't like what it sounds like, even if it's accurate. Please, Ariel, I complicated things for you.
4: You did, but it's okay because this is, these are conversations that we have in my classes every day. Um, it's really about double and triple checking your sources. If you have, especially on more controversial topics, the students are going to be exposed to a lot of different opinions, what I call feel facts in my classroom, you know? What do you call them? Feel facts. Um, They're facts that people feel are true, but may not necessarily be true. So it's a lot of investigating uh, that we do in our classes as well, and diving deep and saying, well, who is the author of this source? Who employs this person? Why might they be saying what they're saying?
1: How dare you ask those questions? Uh, I'm joking. Uh, Ian, I want to get a couple minutes left here. What have we missed in this conversation about educational excellence in these incredibly challenging, pressure-filled, polarized, divisive, I'm trying to be positive, democracy at a crossroads? I think Georgette said earlier, we should call this education at a crossroads. Is education at a crossroads, Ian? Um, I think, you know, if we're thinking about what we miss, I think the one thing that we're kind of
5: missing is that human element, right? So like, we've been talking a lot about, uh, sort of the, these larger conversations that are happening, but, you know, oftentimes on the local level, it's really like teachers want the best for their students. Parents want the best for their kids. And like, that's the common ground that we can all sort of agree on. And then, you know, where the conversation happens is like, How can we best achieve that? And I think it's important to kind of recognize, you know, when we're talking about excellence in education, that really like 99.9% of the time, like that relationship and everything about it, like works phenomenally well. Right. And, and so excellent teachers are those teachers who are the ones who are able to kind of like make those connections with kids, make those connections with communities, make those connections. So it's the division, the divisiveness is not something that is, sometimes actually real it's just kind of something that is uh, blown
1: up let me just say this Um, first i wish i had more time we don't but i'm going to say this to you as the parent of a seventh grader in the public schools uh i cannot cannot thank you and all the other public school educators for making a difference for engaging in excellence i'm not saying it's easy i'm not saying it's sometimes it's not controversial but the vast 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 majority of time My wife and I are are really thrilled with uh, the education that our daughter is getting. And it's largely because of the teachers and the librarians she comes across. And also I want to thank the folks at the New Jersey Education Association uh, who have supported our efforts to identify um, teachers, educators who engage in excellence. Ariel and Martha, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. You could say goodbye. Bye. Thank you. They're used to being in control. (laughs) We'll be right back after this.
0: To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media.
2: Hello, I'm Dr. Luke Ironman, a family medicine specialist at Holy Name. When was your last visit to your primary care doctor? Throughout the pandemic, many patients have put off their annual physicals and screenings. But preventative healthcare is critical for early detection of illnesses and to avoid future health problems. Your doctor can also help you develop a wellness plan to achieve your personal health goals. Your health can't wait. Be proactive and talk to your primary care doctor today about scheduling your annual physical.
5: I am alive today thanks to my kidney donor. I am traveling and more active than ever before.
1: I'm alive today thanks to my heart donor. I'm full of energy and back singing in my church choir.
0: I'm alive today thanks to my lung donor. I'm breathing easy and I'm enjoying life's precious moments.
6: There are about 4,000 people in New Jersey waiting for a life-saving transplant. Donation needs diversity. For more information or to become an organ and tissue donor, visit njsharingnetwork.org.
5: So you are breaking up with me?
0: Oh, yeah.
5: Please do not tell me it is the policy puffin.
0: Actually, it's NJM.
5: Wow. They don't even have a mascot.
0: That's kind of the point.
5: Ouch. Well, I am not paying for dinner.
0: Well, I'm saving money with NJM, so that's fine.
5: This year. Upgrade to NJM and see how much you could save. (laughs) No jingles or mascots. Just great insurance. NJM. Get a quote today.
1: We're now joined by Betsy Ginsburg, Executive Director of the Garden State Coalition of Schools. Betsy, great to have you with us. Thank you. I'm going to put up the website for the organization. Tell everyone what your organization is, because I believe it's a volunteer organization.
6: Uh, no, it's not. Vol- well, it is, I should say, I'm the only paid, full-time paid employee. It is a coalition of 100 public school districts from all over right. New Jersey.
1: They're all volunteers.
6: They are all volunteers. Yes, our members um, are Member districts are represented by superintendents and board members. Uh, superintendents obviously are paid in that capacity. Board members are volunteers at all times.
1: And the mission is?
6: And the mission is uh, advocacy, uh, equal access to education for all children.
1: You know, while there's so many issues we can talk about, and we will talk about school funding in just a moment, Mental, there's a mental health crisis with our kids. There's no doubt about it. And the schools are at the cross-section of all that, because our kids spend so much time in schools. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for teens and young adults between the ages of 10 and 24, according to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. Why is that relevant to the mission of the Garden State Coalition of Schools?
6: Because students can't learn, they can't have access to education unless they are mentally healthy. Uh, and also, there is no real school security without mental health security. So, suicide is very relevant to everything we do.
1: What exactly are you looking for our policymakers to do with respect to this issue?
6: Well, suicide is endemic. You know, it was on the rise. Suicide among students, uh, K-12 students, was on the rise before COVID. There was a um, uh, there was less suicide during COVID. It's on the rise again now. What we're looking for policymakers to do is provide school districts with the resources to employ more mental health professionals and mental
5: health programs.
1: So let's talk about funding. So the governor, the Department of Education, they have a funding formula. Yes. My understanding is that the funding formula um, is somewhat based on the state Supreme Court decisions in the state of New Jersey having to do with the Constitution and a thorough and efficient education for every student and the effort to achieve that and catching up in the so called Abbott districts 28, 29, 30 of those. Mm-hmm. Question here is this What is the biggest concern you have about state funding? to our schools, for our schools? And what would you change specifically?
6: Well, as you know, and uh, we have a funding formula that has been in place since before COVID, um, and it does consider student need, the needs and requirements of individual students. um, Money sort of follows the student. However, um, and, and the formula, uh, was reviewed uh, right before COVID uh, and amended with legislation that is known to us as S2. So um, that S2 just
1: kind of meaning of, Senate Bill number two. Go ahead. Uh,
6: attempted to address some issues with the formula. Where we are right now is that you know we've come out of COVID. Um, many districts in this past uh, in this cycle for FY24. Right. when they received their state aid notices, received considerably less than they were anticipating. Yes. Less. less. Why did
1: they anticipate more?
6: Well, the way the formula, the way S-2 amended the formula was that districts that had been receiving a category of aid called adjustment aid, um, which was supposed to have been phased out after several years of the One formula. second,
1: Betsy. I'm going to avoid going into, no disrespect. But, the, 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 no, the okay. but But here's the deal, as I understand it. Disproportionately suburban districts, school districts, are concerned and are angry on some level about the state funding formula to our schools because they think they're getting the shaft.
6: They do. Um, and I think right now, that's complicated by inflation, which is driving all right. our costs up. Clearly. and um, you know, inflation driven particularly in the area of health care and fuel costs.
1: Well, what do they want to change about the formula? What what exactly do they want to change about the formula? They just want more money?
6: Well, they want um, either more money in specific aid categories, uh, like transportation, or they want um, the ability to have waivers, which allows you to raise taxes more than the 2% cap. So, for example-
1: The 2% cap on local governments You can't spend more than 2% more than you spent
6: more than 2% from the local tax levy.
1: Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
6: And so say your transportation costs have gone up 18%. And that certainly doesn't fit within the 2% cap. What might help districts is to be allowed to raise um, funds in excess by some amount of that 2% cap to accommodate just that kind of
1: fluctuation. Right. So in the time we have left, I'm curious about this. To what degree do you believe, Betsy, that Governor Murphy understands the message that your organization is sending about the school funding formula A and B, is willing to re-examine it and make certain adjustments?
6: I think that the governor's office uh, understands what the most recent problems have been. Um, they have not made any statement on making adjustments. I think probably they're waiting to get through this budget cycle first. Mm-hmm. But we're hoping- Which ends on
1: June 30th, just so we know we're taping toward the end of April, what, what Betsy's talking about is the but- budget cycle has to be done by J- July 1st with a new budget. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
6: Um, and... What worries us is that you have the budget cycle, which ends June 30th. Then you have summer, where not much happens legislatively. Then you go into fall and it's campaign season because everybody's up for reelection except the governor. So we're worried that the issues that have come up with the formula most recently, um, won't really be addressed before districts go into their budgeting cycle for FY25.
1: We're running out of time, so what does that mean?
6: That means that the problems that uh, many districts had this year um, of receiving considerably less aid than they expected um, might recur uh, because nothing will have been done.
1: Betsy Ginsberg, Executive Director of um, Garden State Coalition for Schools On, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You got it. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll see you next time.
0: Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by the New Jersey Education Association, NJ Best, Holy Name, New Jersey Sharing Network, Prudential Financial, PSEG Foundation, The Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, Wells Fargo, and by NJM Insurance Group. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association and by New Jersey Monthly.
2: Hello, I'm Dr. Luke Ironman, a family medicine specialist at Holy Name. When was your last visit to your primary care doctor? Throughout the pandemic, many patients have put off their annual physicals and screenings, but preventative healthcare is critical for early detection of illnesses and to avoid future health problems. Your doctor can also help you develop a wellness plan to achieve your personal health goals. Your health can't wait. Be proactive and talk to your primary care doctor today about scheduling your annual physical.
5: I am alive today thanks to my kidney donor. I am traveling and more active than ever before.
1: I'm alive today thanks to my heart donor. I'm full of energy and back singing in my church choir.
0: I'm alive today thanks to my lung donor. I'm breathing easy and I'm enjoying life's precious moments.
6: There are about 4,000 people in the years you're waiting for a life-saving transplant. Donation needs diversity. For more information or to become an organ and tissue donor, visit njsharingnetwork.org.
5: So you are breaking up with me?
0: Oh, yeah.
5: Please do not tell me it is the policy puffin.
0: Actually, it's NJM.
5: Wow, they don't even have a mascot.
0: That's kind of the point.
5: Ouch! Well, I am not paying for dinner.
0: Well, I'm saving money with NJM, so that's fine.
5: This year. upgrade to NJM and see how much you could save. <laughs> no jingles or mascots. Just great insurance. NJM, get a quote today.